It's football commercial season. Become a USA Today Ad Meter panelist and watch and rate the big game commercials. You'll be entered to win a trip to the big game in 2022 just for registering. Sign up now and see official rules at admeter.usatoday.com. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Hey everybody, welcome to The Counter. I'm Chris Gorman, joined by Stephen Ruiz and Charles McDonald. What's up, guys? Great day for, I, I feel like, for me and Chuck. I don't want to speak for him, but one of our greatest football villains. I'm a Panthers fan, he's a Falcons fan, and Drew Brees is probably, he's probably been uh, vanquished. Is that safe to say? I think it is. Uh, he has uh, exited our lives. Drew Brees has been uh, making me feel bad about rooting for the Falcons since I was like 12. So uh, it's it's good to finally get this evil foe away from <laughs> us, and, uh, and we're we're just able to move on with our lives now. And the th- yeah, the thing about Breeze though is like he was like the most frustrating thing to watch him like dice up your def- uh yeah, your defense because mm-hmm. it was just like dinking and dunking, and then all of a sudden there'd be a big play, and you'd look up at the box score, and he'd be like twenty eight for thirty two, and you it's just a miserable experience. Yeah, yeah. And the opposite happened last night. I mean, all of that was just gone. And Breeze is like he was uh, he had no touch on his throw. I mean, he couldn't throw deep. He couldn't throw short. Uh, every type of route he was trying to throw. It was it was an ugly. If this is his last game, he would not he would not say that he's retiring after the game. There was a pregame report from Glazer, I think, Jay Glazer, saying that he's definitely retiring and going to go into uh I guess he signed with NBC to do commentary, uh, but Breeze wouldn't commit. But man, he looked—he looked rough. Uh, it was—it was. It, was I, it had to feel good to maybe. I, I don't know. It probably doesn't feel good to see someone struggle, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, it was the exact opposite. Like every everything that he used to do well, it was just like, yeah, this guy's totally broken. Uh, Totally, totally broken. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk. We're going to dig in on all the divisional round games. Uh, the Bucks and Packers have advanced in the NFC. The Chiefs, thanks to the hero Chad Henney uh, and Bills, will face off in the AFC. We're going to get into all that. We will talk about the coaching situation. Uh, last time we left you, we basically said, like, hey, there's, you know, Urban Meyer had just been hired by the Jags. We said, eh, things are probably going to cool down now. Uh, wait a little bit until the till the games are played. And then all but two uh, coaching positions got filled. So maybe you shouldn't listen to us. Uh, but there are there, there's definitely some interesting stuff going on. Eric Bieniemy. Uh, sure appears like he may get frozen out again, which is absolutely insane. Uh, so we will we will dig in on that and get into those stories. Talk about the Texans mess, which it just keeps getting worse. I mean, I, I feel like each week, like, oh, we set our piece on that. What else is there to say? But uh, the dude was uh, Deshaun Watson was in New York City wearing a Falcons jacket yesterday. Uh, he right. is cl- he is clearly uh, clearly not happy. Uh, so we'll we'll talk a little bit about that and look ahead to to next week and and. I know Steven is, is he, he like immediately peeled off in the middle of the Bucks game last night. and was like, I, I got to start watching film for these games. So I know he's going to have some thoughts on what we'll see moving forward. Um, so that should be good. Let's, let's start with this chiefs uh, Browns game, the divisional round game. It's probably the most 
I, I don't know. It wasn't a great weekend of games, uh, but this one got interesting for a bad reason. Patrick Mahomes uh, was running that little option play that the Chiefs have liked a lot uh, near the goal line or on or on short distance, uh, you know, third downs, third and fourth downs, and he. Uh, it, you know, I I guess it was him hitting his head. I mean, there were reports that like he had like scrunched his neck. I mean, it was an awkward hit and Mahomes got up and looked awful. I mean, he looked like he had no idea where he was. And sure enough, he went and was evaluated for a concussion, eventually taken to the locker room. It, it seems like, you know, Andy Reid and others were saying that Mahomes was feeling good after the game. He was sending out tweets. Uh, you know, we should all probably exercise a whole bunch of caution before saying that he's definitely going to play next week. This is how concussions work. Sometimes you feel okay the next day, and uh, and two days later, you get the post-concussion symptoms. So it's it's hard to, you know, hard to say how this is going to go. But but the Chiefs ended up bringing in Chad Henney, a 13-year NFL veteran who had never played in the playoffs before and really hadn't started. He started the last game for the Chiefs uh, just because they were resting players, uh, but he had not started – in a long time since then, I 2014 maybe. <laughs> it's been a long time. And Charles, you wrote about this, but the Chiefs just sort of said like they just let Chad Henney do Chief stuff. They didn't really adapt too much. They they stuck with their game plan and found a way to to win this game. Uh, what was the final? Twenty two seventeen, I think. Yeah. Uh, it, it just kind of seemed like they like when Chad Henney came in the game. Like it's like not a real scenario that had like crossed their minds <laughs> on, 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 on how they proceeded after that. It's like, oh wow, Chad Finn. Uh, we didn't kind of foresee that one happen for us, but uh, we don't really have anything prepared for you, Chad. So you're gonna have to go out there and run Pat's plays. And I thought it was kind of funny that like he's out there just like throwing deep down the field. I, like when they, when they, uh, I feel like, like when they got into some of these third and long situations, you just kind of expect them to just give up and, and like, Oh, we got chat handy. Let's not try to make a mistake here. And then on third and 14, like the game on the line, they're back and gun and, and he's scanning the field and taking off. I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> like they're, they're putting a lot on Chad Henney's plate and, uh, they got burned on that one interception, but then, you know, sometimes if you're a great team, you can just kind of keep still doing what you're doing. And uh, they got away with one when Tyreek Hill came down with that crazy catch. And then uh, Chad Henney scrambles on third and 14, and they come up with that cute little uh, speed out on a, uh, a fourth down to win the game. And, you know, it's just kind of like that, that. Somehow that little Chad Henney sequence just made them feel even more inevitable to, like, win this thing if Patrick Mahomes can get back because, like, if if they can figure out a way to close out a game with Chad Henney at quarterback, then I just don't really see anyone beating this team. And and before Mahomes got hurt, it, it felt like they were about to score at least a field goal on every single drive when they touched the ball. Like they had they had a I guess a, a little trouble in the red zone, but like when Mahomes was healthy, they didn't have any trouble moving the ball uh, down the field. So uh, they're they're definitely gonna need him back for Sunday. Yeah. My favorite Henny play was the interception. Yeah. Like, <laughs> who did he think he was? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I have no idea who he thought he was throwing it to. Like, e- even when you go back and watch the replay, it's like, dude, like, if you were trying to hit the dude run up the seam, you weren't even close. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, I saw the dots of the play. And it was just like, 
there was never a chance for that route to come open. Like the, no. the I think the uh, the Browns are playing too high. They're playing like quarters, so they had the cornerback carrying that route route down the field. They had the safety there to bracket it. He actually had I think he had Tyree Kill wide open, not wide open, but open over the middle. And he is just like, screw it. I'm, I'm tossing it up and going for the glory. And I can't blame him. If I'm Chad Henney getting in my first playoff game in th- 13 years as a pro, I'm chucking that ball downfield. Yeah, man. Of course. I, I kind of hope Chad, my favorite Chad Henney story is that he was the Zamboni driver at the ice rink uh, near where I lived. Uh, we grew up in the same town. Uh, and he, he, when he announced for Michigan, he had the press conference at the ice rink uh, because he was the Zamboni driver. And I kind of hope that he just retires after the season and goes back to being a Zamboni driver. <laughs> I mean, he's, that, probably made, he's probably made $100 million. I don't know how much he's made, but plenty to, to live on. Uh, he should just go back. He's probably thinking about the Zamboni. Like, every day he's thinking about retirement. He's like, I just want to end this and just go drive my Zamboni. Simple life. <laughs> speaking of – speaking man. of. Bad uh, college announcement. Stefan Diggs announced he was going to Maryland at the Looney's Pub in College Park, which is like <laughs> the most depressing place for a guy no, that ended up being no. a superstar. I, I covered a couple of Zeller uh, when the Zellers were committing. This might have been, I can't remember if it was Tyler, but it was at a Ponderosa. Uh, it was like in the back room, like this, this Ponderosa had like a fancy banquet area. Uh, it was amazing. <laughs> Um, we've gone off the rails completely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the the Browns, uh, like, I, I, Stephen, you wrote about Stefanski and him having some gaffes, and the, uh, there were there were things that he should have done differently um, it, it, in this one. And it, like, it's hard to cr- criticize him because he is so much of the reason they got this far, right? Like, right. this was this was a monumental coach. Like, he's the coach of the year, right? I don't, I haven't given it a whole lot of thought, but uh, just everything he's done uh, was pretty amazing to to make this team function the way it did. But what did you see that he will need to improve on moving forward? There was some time management stuff and just uh, you know something that Charles was writing about all last week. Uh, Stefanski didn't follow through on, and it it ended up uh, yeah. not helping the Browns. Yeah, like it wasn't any one thing when it comes to like managing the game. There was clock issues, there was timeout issues, challenge issues, and I think it's a concern because you, if you're a Browns fan, you're hoping that you're going to be in the playoffs every year from now on out. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but those mistakes tend to matter in the playoffs a little more. I don't, maybe that's just anecdotal and we just remember more. Right. Right. But I would take that over what they were going through before with their other coaches and like going two and 14 every year. So <laughs> it's a decent yeah. trade off. And it, like, I always think that those mistakes are overblown. Like even when you look at some of these, these tweets that break down the percentages on like whether you should go for it or not, like the difference is like one or two percent uh, win probability points. And I don't know, that just doesn't seem that big to me when like a, a 20 yard pass downfield swings it by like seven or eight points. Right. Uh, did they do anything to, did the chiefs do anything to dissuade the Browns from trying to run the football or did the Browns just sort of move off that on their own? Cause you know, Charles wrote about that all week that it would, they would need to really have that success uh, on the ground game. And they, they did, you know, Nick Chubb was running well and he only, I don't, I don't remember exactly how many carries he had, but it 13. Was not, not many. Yeah. Which is how many Daryl Williams had for the, the chiefs. Um so uh, what what happened there, Charles? What was your what was your read on that? Uh, um, what happened with the running game in the Browns game? 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I like. I, I just kind of felt like they should have stuck with it a little right. bit more than than they did. And yeah, you know, I guess Baker didn't play that bad a game. Uh, I, I wasn't quite as impressed as like some some people were uh, yeah. during the game. But I I thought that they should have stuck with the ground game a little bit more uh, than they did. And it, it just kind of seemed like throughout the whole game, like that was going to be their avenue to kind of get back in it. And I know it's tough, like when you're down and especially when Mahomes is, Mahomes is still in the game and it feels like every single drive, you're going to have to score a touchdown just to keep pace with it because the Chiefs, like they were just running up and down the field. Even some of those drives were ending in field goals. Like I get how it can be hard to stay patient and stick with it. But when you just have that big of a advantage uh, over the Chiefs, like it just seemed like something you want to just kind of just keep spamming and uh, they got away from a little bit, but like, I, I get why they did it. It just seemed like they wanted not or that they should have uh, used a little bit more than they did. Yeah. That's what was weird to me was that they weren't running the ball in the first half. And that's when, you know, right. the score and time situation isn't really a factor in your decision to run or pass. And it wasn't really until they started running. And they, I think it was when after Baker's uh, interception, and then the Chiefs missed a field goal. I think it was still 19-3 to at the time. That's when they really started to run the ball, which is kind of weird. Like, you're midway through the third quarter. You're down 16 <laughs> right. points. I don't know if Mahomes' injury had happened yet, but I, I guess that might influence it. If you're playing Chad Henney, I would not be afraid to run the ball. I'd be like, yes, we have time to come back. But that's when they started moving the ball, and that's when they started scoring. That's when I, – like, I don't think momentum is a thing, but, like – that's when the game changed and it looked like the Browns were going to be able to pull it out. And I think that was the biggest mistake for Stefanski. And I think it's just him being young. And if I'm seeing Patrick Mahomes just, you know, rip balls down the field and just march down the field, then maybe I I get a little scared. and I'm like, Oh, we got to pass. We got to keep up with this. And I think that might've been what happened. And then Mm -hmm. in the second half, after he saw Baker throw that interception, he was like, we just got to get back to what got us here. And that's Nick Chubb. I think Nick Chubb's the best player on that offense. And he looked like the best player on that offense yesterday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, both Chubb and Hunt averaged 5.3 yards a carry. I mean, the run the run game was working. I think you're probably right, though. I mean, Mahomes was so good early in that game. Uh Many people, including you guys, I think, declared the game over <laughs> uh, when it when it got to nineteen to three. Uh, it was just, and I don't feel bad about saying that because, well, oh, yeah, you couldn't you couldn't predict that Mahomes would get hurt. So, yeah, I mean, he was at that point. It was over if Mahomes stays healthy. Yeah, that felt like I think I don't know. It might have been Chuck that said it felt like the the Rams uh, Packers game the day before where like the Rams started to catch up and they started to move the ball, but Aaron, like there was no stopping the Packers offense. Like that's how it would have felt if the chiefs had kept their quarterback. I don't think, I think they would have scored 40 points and the Browns would not have been able to keep up. I think it would have been like a 17 point game. All right. Let's uh, let's talk. Let's go into the breeze Brady game. Why don't, why don't we do that? The uh, the later Sunday game, Tampa Bay wins this one 30 to 20. And uh, I, there's just no way to get around the fact that uh, Drew Brees lost this game for the Saints. I mean, he was just absolutely atrocious. Uh, 19 for 34, 134 yards, 3.9 uh, average. His average depth of target, I, I don't know what it ended up being at the end, but it was like 
five or something. I mean, he was not throwing the ball very far, and he still managed to throw three interceptions. Uh, I mean, he was just just awful. I mean, that's I, I, there's there's not a whole lot of in depth. Uh, analysis to be done on this game. Breeze, Breeze was just terrible. Charles, you you wrote about this at the end. Uh, I mean, it just looks like he has nothing nothing left. He was just a, a broken quarterback last night. Yeah, uh, it, it just very much looked like someone who was done and ready to find something else to do with their life. I mean, it, it, it like Breeze has never really been the most, uh, I guess, physically gifted guy, and now. When when that starts to decline, you, you see the, how thin the margins are on some success that he's able to have now, and and like there there will be moments like I think maybe a, a couple throws a game, or or, or you'll have you'll have a game with a couple throws where it looks like the old breeze, but it's kind of hard to just do that every week at, at his age, and uh, you just don't really see like any ability to push the ball down the field. Uh, the interceptions were pretty bad, like all of them were. All of them had, I think, to a degree where it was just straight up his fault. Uh, and, like, the thing with, with Breeze is, like, he played so bad that even if you were deciding to come back for another season, like, the Saints still need to look for something else to to try and figure out what they're going to do at quarterback next year because, like, that in that game is, is not really NFL quality. Uh, and so it, he, he's like pretty much the reason why uh, they end up losing the game. Like without that trick play that James Winston right. had, there's, you know, they're really struggling to generate offense for the day outside of, uh, you know, Alvin Kamara doing his thing on the ground. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I just can't imagine the scenario where he's back next year because it, it we've seen it for the past couple of years. Like by the end of the season, he's just, uh, a complete shell of himself, and that that performance against Tampa Bay was, uh, you know, if, if that's how he goes out, uh, that kind of sucks for him. But at the same time, it, it looks like he, uh, he he might need to to hang up the cleats. Stephen, the uh, they didn't have Taysom Hill, and and I don't know, like, do you think that not having that element to sort of prop Breeze up a little bit? ultimately hurt them. And then when we look back at Breeze missing a bunch of time this, this year and then playing Taysom Hill instead of Jameis Winston, I mean, it just seems like this was a personnel gaffe, uh, like, uh, you know, a series of them by Sean Payton that he was betting everything would go right. And that just doesn't happen in football, right? Like there's too many injuries. There's too many unknowns. Uh, it seemed like he had this plan where he could make it work. He could prop up Drew Brees if he had Taysom Hill running that, that very particular Taysom Hill role, but you can't replace, there's no other Taysom Hill, right? There's no other guy that they, they didn't, create another guy who was going to run those plays. Uh, so it, it just ended up, I mean, really fell apart in an astonishing way. I mean, was this something that could have been and should have been avoided with, with some early earlier season decisions? Yeah. I think them not going to Jameis at any point in that game. I, I mean, I could see why, like it's kind of, it would be, I don't know. It'd kind of be, Messed up to Drew Brees to bench him in what is probably going to be his last game, but at the same time, like the Saints had a very good chance of at least getting to the Super Bowl, and it seemed like it wasn't only just Peyton not 
wanting to bench Drew Brees. But him going to Taysom Hill during that three-game stretch where they lost to the Eagles with Jalen Hurts in a game where I don't think there were that many points scored, I feel like that was the turning point for their season. That was the point where they went from the clear favorites in the NFC to I don't know if they're going to be able to make it through the playoffs, at least for me. And I I still think it comes back to – Sean Payton's ego and him wanting to prove everyone wrong with Taysom Hill. They should have been starting Jameis. I just, I don't see the argument against starting Jameis in that situation. He's the better quarterback. He's probably the best quarterback they have. Like, I don't even think that's a hot take anymore. Right. Like the most damning thing that Sean Payton did yesterday was take Drew Brees off of the field for that trick play. I don't think he trusted Drew Brees to complete a wide open pass 30 yards downfield. He wanted to make sure that pass got completed, and that's why he put in Jameis. And if that's the case, why is Drew Brees even out there? I, I think it just allowed the Bucks to sit on everything underneath. They played a lot of man coverage because they knew Drew Brees was not going to beat them over the top. And that's why they lost the game. I thought Peyton should have made a switch at quarterback. The fact that he didn't, I think, I don't know if it's going to haunt him, but I think he's going to regret it looking back on it. The uh, the if you read the the coverage out of Tampa Bay, the the, the defensive players down there, uh, you know, as often happens after a game like this, are saying like we found our identity. We we you know we we were searching for it, but the coaches found our identity, and we we know what we're doing. And it's a defense first team. But uh, did we actually learn anything about the defense? <laughs> like, I mean, Drew Brees was so bad, uh, and like you said, like the plan that they had to come up with was not overly complicated. It's pretty. Like Drew Brees, he he can he could still throw down the seams a little bit, uh, but he could not throw throw to the to the sidelines, and he could not throw deep. Uh, so they took that away and, and completely neutralized him. Do we? Did you learn anything? Like, are you feeling like, oh, actually, Tampa has a pretty good shot at getting to the Super Bowl in their own stadium, or are you sort of where you were before with this team? I mean, I'm at the same place. Like, that defensive performance, I thought it, like we've been saying, I thought it was mostly Breeze. Like, they didn't really do anything different than what they've done in the past. They played a little more too high zone against the Saints, but I don't think that's significant or it matters for the Packers game next week. And I was way more concerned with what I saw out of the offense and Tom Brady in particular. Obviously, the Saints defense is way better than the Packers defense, but Brady cannot play like that again next week, not with Aaron Rodgers on the other sideline. Yeah, I mean Brady had he should have thrown a couple interceptions, uh, you know, and he, and he was not great. I mean, he was eighteen for thirty three, one hundred ninety nine yards. Uh, I mean, it, I haven't I didn't look, but it, he had a negative CPOE. I mean, like uh, he was his his relatively mediocre play was overshadowed by Breeze's completely awful play. So. Um, no, it was actually the Bucks receiver's fault on all those plays. That's what Troy Aikman told me. Yeah, uh, Troy Aikman, man, he was he was standing up for the court, the old white quarterbacks last night. <laughs> he doesn't have many more opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. If, if Troy Aikman sees one more successful black quarterback, he's going to send one of those tweets where he's, "I'm done with the NFL. I've been a fan for 40 years, but I'm giving it up." <laughs> oh man, poor Troy Aikman. <laughs> I don't even know Speaking if he knows. Of, uh, not he all the quarterbacks. Justin Fields just declared for the draft. Oh, what a surprise. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> what a surprise. No. About that. Urban Meyer can continue to pretend that he might pick him with the number one pick. It'll be, that'll be a fun little story to, to track over the next few months. Uh, let's go to the Bills-Ravens game. This game was played Saturday night uh, in windy, windy Buffalo. It was... 
just a bad. I mean, it was just a bad football game. It was mm-hmm. just. A, I, I mean, I. It's not even like if you love defense, like oh, was it just a defensive struggle? I mean, it was just a. It was just a tortured football game. Uh, you know, it was. It was really hard to play. I mean, I think I sent. Uh, as, as we were watching, like at one point, every sort of play except one had had a negative EPA, a negative expected points added. Uh, you know, like neither team could throw, neither team could run. It was, it was just a rough football game. And the Bills end up winning 17 to three after Lamar Jackson goes out with uh, a, a concussion. I mean, the Bills were pretty well in control of the game at that point anyway, but any chance the Ravens had just went away with, with Tyler Huntley coming in to fill in for Jackson. Uh, one of our big takeaways after this game was that the Ravens need to get uh, Lamar Jackson much more help. You know, they, they fixed the defense last offseason and neglected the offense, and it's just not going to work with – especially when you see, uh, you know, Stephon Diggs and John Brown on the <laughs> on the other side catching eight passes each. You, like, Josh Allen just had so much more help. Uh, but what did you take take away from this one, you guys? Like, how do you feel about this Bills team? We, I, I feel like we've been watching all season, and it was Allen was playing well, and then he didn't. The defense played well. Like, are they coming together? Do you think they have a shot against the Chiefs if Patrick Mahomes is healthy? Uh, I would say. I mean, they have a chance just because they have so much offensive firepower and Josh Allen could just black out. But I'm more confident in the Chiefs now, like disregarding Patrick Mahomes' health. If he's healthy, if he's 100%, I'm more confident in the Chiefs now because we kind of saw what we had speculated would happen throughout the, the, I guess, the month of December when the Chiefs were kind of – just like sleepwalking through the end of the season. And we, we all said like, Oh, the playoffs are going to come. They're going to flip a switch. And that's exactly what happened in that first half. Like the offense right. was a monster in the first half. The only thing that was stopping them was Harrison Butker, just missing extra points and field goals. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know, like what we've seen out of Josh still, even in the Colts game, there were like a couple of plays if they, if they're, if the Colts catch a break, I think right. we're talking about Allen's playoff experience this year in the, a lot different terms. Like they had the one interception that was dropped in the in the end zone. It was like a diving interception, to be fair. Then he fumbled and the, the Bills recovered. And I think we got like a couple of those plays again in the Ravens game. So, I mean, I think it's fair to qu- – like at this point in the season – the bar is higher than it had been for Josh Allen in the regular season. Like we need him to be on Patrick Mahomes' level if the Bills are going to win. And I don't think he's shown that through two weeks in the playoffs. Yeah. Like, honestly, if I was, uh, I, I know Baltimore's defense is really good, but like, honestly, that game was a little concerning. I think if you're Bills fans, because I, uh, you know, the, the offense only managed one touchdown uh, and, if you just look at like how they performed in that game compared to their season averages, it was way down. Like they averaged four yards per play uh, compared to the Ravens four point seven. Like and, and another point I was about to make is uh, like the Ravens' offense like just statistically had a better game than the Bills' offense did. Uh, so the Ravens averaged four point seven yards per play to just four point zero for the Bills. Uh, the Bills completed just four of their thirteen third down attempts compared to seven for seventeen for the Ravens. I mean. It, it was an ugly game uh, kind of on both sides. It just kind of got out of control when Lamar threw that 
really bad pick. Uh, that guy returned for a touchdown. Uh, but what they did on Saturday against the Ravens is like not even close to good enough to beat the Chiefs if, if Mahomes is healthy. So uh, that would be a little bit concerning for me. Uh, I don't think you're going to get a team that – like if, if you're the Bills, you can't expect the Chiefs to shoot themselves in the foot like the Ravens kind of did. Uh, on Saturday, you're, you're going to need a lot more production out of Josh Allen. Like now, that'll be easier going against a defense that's not as good as the Ravens is. But still, like Steven said, if you're going to be this guy who is an MVP candidate and is legitimately like one of the best quarterbacks in the league, I think it's fair for us to expect a little bit more out of you when you, when you get to that point. I mean, if Lamar Jackson is going to have people writing that he quote unquote finally won his first playoff game in year three as a 24 year old quarterback. And I think we can, we can give Josh Allen some, some big boy expectations too. Chuck, if, if Eric DaCosta called you and asked which wide receiver to go after this off season for Lamar Jackson, who would you, who do you think is the best fit? Because uh, it's a, it's a bumper class of, of free agent wide receivers. Uh, how, how would you approach it? I think I would go after Allen Robinson. Uh, Assuming that the Bears are silly enough to like actually let him hit uh, free agency, which kind of seems like that's about to happen, because like you already have the speed stuff, and you have a lot of fast guys uh, with uh, obviously Hollywood Brown, who who we're, we're probably who we're probably a little bit too hard on. Um, I mean, I mean, he's probably a great number two, right? Yeah, like, yeah it's, that's, it's that's just asking too much, right? Now. Right, like it's not his fault that he's like head and shoulders the best receiver on this offense and that's like kind of point with the Ravens offense like if you're in a spot where Hollywood Brown is like the guy for you it's probably not going to be a a super productive year on 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 offense for you so uh, I think if like he could find a guy to slide him number two and I think Alder Robinson like just for like as Lamar keeps growing as a passer because Obviously, like he still has some work to do, uh, just in terms of being, being more consistent. Like finding a guy that kind of erased some of the margin for error for you is just—I I think it's something that'd be really beneficial for him. So you just kind of like if you put Alden Robinson next to Marquise Brown, and then you get uh, Ronnie Stanley back, like things are starting to look uh, right. pretty good. Because I, I think as awful as this year was on the offensive line for the most part. You did find out that Orlando Brown can pretty much play every any spot on the offensive line <laughs> and be good at it, which is a good thing to find out. So you, you get him; he's going to go back to right tackle with even more experience under his belt. Get back Ronnie Stanley, and then you add someone like Allen Robinson, or uh, if you just want to stay speed, like even Will Fuller would be a, a good person to add, just because uh, not only like is he does he actually have like the play speed, but he's actually a pretty good route runner too and has a good feel for the game. So uh, I think Allen Robinson will be one. Uh, will Fuller and Kenny Galladay will be two. I think the one you stay away from probably is Juju because I just don't think that he adds enough to this offense to really make a difference. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to say please no Will Fuller just because of <laughs> Lamar Jackson's luck with drops in the playoffs and oh, yeah. Will Fuller has a drop problem. <laughs> like I could envision Will Fuller dropping like two deep touchdown passes and I would <laughs> have to hate him forever. But it's not only a great receiver class. I think it's a great receiver class for what the Ravens need, which is what Chuck's getting at with Allen Robinson. Like even if you don't get Allen Robinson, I think Kenny Galladay is a nice 
a consolation prize and Chris Godwin is a free agent. Like the, the Ravens need a ball winner over the middle of the field. And I think that actually, you know, plays to Lamar's strengths a lot. We always see him throwing those passes with touch over the middle where he gives his, it's usually a tight end, a chance to box out a defender downfield and catch a ball. He threw one of those passes to Hollywood Brown. I think it was like a third and 15 backed up near the goal line. And he he tossed the, I think it was a crossing route. If you, replace those throws to with throws to Allen Robinson, I think this offense becomes a lot better. And if you have Allen Robinson, Hollywood Brown, and Mark Andrews, that's a pretty good receiving core. Like all the pieces fall into place. Yeah. I mean the 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 one hundred one yard interception that Jackson threw uh, like I haven't looked at it closely, but you know, you could just tell that he saw Andrews pop open and just sort of forced it in uh because like all game, he he was he was scanning the field and just not seeing guys get open, uh, and that like it just felt like sort of a cascading effect where he was losing uh, trust in the ability of those guys of of his other players to get open, and just ended up forcing that pass that became a pivotal play. Um, so if he has a little bit more trust across the the spectrum of his receiving core, uh, you know he's he's going to be a much better quarterback, and he's already pretty good. I also think that's a totally different game if Justin Tucker makes those two field goals. Yeah, like, it was windy, but if he makes those two field goals, I think it's a totally different game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's probably it's like it's a weird thing. Like uh, Tucker has been so like uh, football players know kickers are weird and it's voodoo, voodoo, and like you know whatever uh, you miss a kick, but like Justin Tucker is one guy who barely ever misses, uh, and he's been with the Ravens for a long time. I think that definitely changed things for for that team uh let's talk about the the nfc game the final game that we haven't hit to the uh this is the first game saturday the packers end up winning 32 to 18 matt lafleur has uh some good answers for what brandon staley has been doing on defense we'll he has some that. good answers for aaron donald not playing or not yeah playing well, that's, play. that's true too uh the, yeah the rams were really hurt i mean golf didn't look too limited throwing the ball he looked limited in the ways that jared golf is always limited but on defense the fact that aaron donald he would he play about 50 percent of the snaps and he usually is just out there the entire game destroying people and he, those 50 percent look nothing like the the usual snaps we see out of aaron donald like he's not explosive at all it, it was not a good performance by him but i mean you can't blame him obviously and i think the big like them missing cooper cup was huge hmm I, I just feel like on third down, Jerichoff's not great on third down, but he needs Cooper Cup. That's like a security blanket on third down. And without that, it's just, you know, he's useless. Yeah. Uh, how do we feel about the Packers? I mean, Aaron Rodgers, you know, he eventually hit the deep shot down Lazard. Uh, but, I mean, a very Aaron Rodgers-esque day the rest of the day, it felt like. I mean, he's, he's just playing at a, a really, really high level right now. Yeah, I, I, I just, especially after uh, that Bucks Saints game, it just, I, I can't imagine either one of those teams going into Lambo and beating the Packers because, like Steven said, it with with the Bucks defense, it's not even like that. A good quarterback couldn't have taken advantage of what was going on in the field. It's just that Brees was so inept that it, it was just kind of game over for them and with the way Rodgers is playing right now uh and I, I obviously like Aaron Donald not be at 100% definitely helps but 
he, like for the most part, just absolutely shredded that Rams defense. And uh, uh, it's just hard to see him not doing that again with the regular season that he put together. And he just seems so like in command of everything. And 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 you kind of just felt that like from the first – first portions of the game really where uh like on the first drive uh where they're doing a lot to switch up the tempo uh with uh with this cadence and they're getting to the ball fast and like they're getting to the line of scrimmage fast and they're like really making the rams play on their heels and in, in, it's just kind of like not only the throws that he's making but just the general command of the offense it just seems like all this is clicking in a way that uh, it, it really didn't last year, even though they ended up in the same spot in the NFC Championship game. I mean, this 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 Packers offense is just rolling, and I'm, I'm, uh, I, I, if they can, you know, look anything remotely close like they did on a Sunday, then they should find themselves in the Super Bowl again because I, I think that they should be able to do the same exact thing to Tampa's defense, if not even worse. Hmm. Yeah, and I. <laughs> Like I think people are going to overvalue what happened in that first matchup between these two. I haven't really watched the film since that game happened, but I remember thinking that it wasn't really the Bucks were fooling Aaron Rodgers on on defense because I think he threw two interceptions and had a bad game. But it was really just like the Packers' protections was terrible. The, the Bucks were getting pressure with with their blitzes. I think they'll have a better plan this time around. And Aaron Rodgers has made two bad throws on the interceptions. I don't think he's going to do that again. I really don't like this matchup for the Bucks defense. I didn't like the matchup for the Bucks defense this week against the Saints, but Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers, it's a wide gap between those guys physically and mentally. Like Chuck said, Aaron Rodgers is just like on another level now. He's mastered that offense and he has answers to basically everything the Bucks can throw at him. They, they're running a lot of RPO now, and I think that's going to be a big tool for them against the Bucs this weekend because of how good that run defense is. And we know Matt LaFleur is going to want to run the ball, but I don't think you can just run it against that front. If they're playing like bare fronts, they're playing three, four, I don't think you're going to be able to run it. So you better give him an option to toss it out wide if the Bucs are loading the box. Do you think this is the offseason where Sean McVay says, I I, I can't win consistently with Jared Goff? I mean, are we reaching that point where he has to take that stand? I mean, there, there was like a report uh, that, you know, he was asked essentially, you know, is 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 golf your guy? And he, it was careful language, but he could have just said, yeah, <laughs> and he didn't. It was it was is golf going to be on the roster next year? And he wow. did, couldn't give an answer. And like based on the contract, it's an easy answer. Yes, golf is going to be on the team because the only way they can get rid of him without like a massive dead cap hit, which I don't think they're going to be able to do given their cap situation, is by trading him after June 1st. And I just don't see what what team out there is going to be willing to trade for him. I, I don't know. Uh, and it, it just like – you, you see the, the limitations on in that Packers game where – when everything is is clean for for Jared, like he, he's honestly a great thrower, and that's probably the problem. Like he's a, he's a great thrower, but he's not a very good quarterback. Uh, because I, I think that just like the dichotomy that you saw between Rodgers and Golf kind of yeah showed like where you where 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 the like the missing link is. Like I, I was just talking about how you know Rodgers is just in full command of that. Packers offense and you know they're doing a lot of different things to get these plays off and golf just 
doesn't have that same control over the Rams offense. I'm like, this is what year four that he just finished with uh, McVay. So it, it's just got to be a little bit frustrating that you're, you're still here and you pay him and he just can't really do anything like that's not just directly put on his plate in front of him. Now, like he can make that stuff look good, like on a couple of touchdown drives, like he was even playing out of gun pretty well and making reads and uh, get, throwing guys open. But when it's time for Jared to make a play on his own, like without the help of everybody else around him, that's just something that he's not capable of doing yet. And he's not really able to make things easier for himself in the way that you see Rodgers does too. So, uh, yeah, you, 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 you're at a crossroads a little bit where either Jared Goff needs to get better, like markedly this off season, or you're going to be stuck here again. And that's kind of the, the problem that people foresaw when, when Goff got paid, like it's not that Goff is the worst quarterback on the planet, but it's not like he's someone that's going to elevate you either. And, and that's what happened on uh, on on Saturday. When when the Rams needed a play, Derek Goff just couldn't make them. Right. All right. Let's uh, let's let's flip to the other side of the NFL. The other the other uh, the, the bottom part of the league, the teams that are starting over and seeking for a start. Now, actually, I, I want to start with the Eric Bieniemy situation. Uh, it's, it's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, lots of politicians who uh, have actively been trying to suppress black vote are out here tweeting uh, some Martin Luther King sentiments or quotes, uh, not understanding in the least what the guy actually stood for. Uh, and it just feels like the NFL, which has jumped on all sorts of racial equality, uh, uh, you know, sayings and slogans and movements uh, has latched on, you know, over the over the summer uh, is is on the cusp of potentially, again, somehow failing to hire uh, the offensive coordinator for one of the, the better offenses we've ever seen headed to uh, a third straight AFC championship. Uh, you know, and, and meanwhile, Dan Campbell, who is the tight ends coach for the Saints, apparently is going to get a head coaching job. Brandon Staley, who is a wonderful defensive coordinator. I mean, he did a great job for the Rams, but he's this was his first year as a defensive coordinator. Just a few years ago, he was a secondary coach in Division Three uh, football. Yeah, I mean, this is like uh, – the one thing we don't we know we have a lot of public information about the enemy, right? We know that he's involved in this chief offense. There's this idea that because he doesn't call plays, that's some strike against him. We that is a dumb strike. Dan Campbell has never been a coordinator. Uh, John Harbaugh was never a coordinator before becoming a coach like this is that's not even a thing uh, that, that should not be a factor. Uh, there's this idea that Andy Reid's coaching tree is flawed. That also not true. Um, so it's sort of come down to like, oh, maybe the enemy is, uh, he's, he's not good at interviewing (laughs) and like all of us get to watch NFL coaches talk to reporters 
after mm-hmm. games or we see like there are plenty of NFL coaches who are not impressive talk. Like Bill Belichick is not actually like an interesting person to listen to talk. Like I, I refuse to believe that Eric Bieniemy is so bad at interviewing that that explains what is going on here. I like, what do you, what do you guys think is happening? Why, why is this a storyline? It's not, I mean, I, I don't really know what's happening, but I know that this is a, and I, I, I kind of hate saying like something is a bad luck because it, I mean it's not bad luck it's just bad like this is this is bad for the league to uh, have what happened last year and you you implement the rule where you know these teams are going to get draft picks for uh, having head coach that's hired which I guess you know isn't much incentivization for the team that's actually making the hire because I mean if you're looking at the the uh, what the Rams and the Falcons have done, I mean, or the Lions and the Falcons have done where you hire Brad Holmes and then uh, the Falcons are about to hire Terry Fondant. Like both the Rams and the Saints are going to get draft picks out of that, which is kind of the proposal that went through to fix this. Uh, but clearly it's like, it's not working because we're down to just two black head coaches in the league with Brian Flores and Mike Tomlin. And it doesn't look like we're about to get uh, another one. Uh, put it in because it doesn't seem like Eric Bianami is about to get either one of these jobs. And it's just the frustrating part is just like all the excuses that come up for Bianami. Oh, he doesn't interview well. Oh, he doesn't call plays. And like, I remember when Doug Peterson got hired, uh, like there's a whole thing before he, uh, before he left for the Eagles where it's like, does Doug Peterson actually do anything? And then we found out that he was like calling a few plays here and there, like towards the end of his last season with the chiefs. So right. Right. It's not even like this is a, a real criticism. It's just that people want to defend practices that make them feel like everything is fine and everything is normal. I feel like, but like just looking at Brandon Staley's resume and like, and to be fair, like I, I want to say this, like I think that Brandon Staley, I, uh, well, like will probably be a fine head coach, and what he did this year with the Rams, even though he had Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, like it was legitimately impressive. I mean, he walked into a defense that was being coordinated by Wade Phillips, and it was pretty good, and and upped it up, like took it up a, a level, and made the Rams uh, a defense that was truly feared. But you know, four or five years ago, this guy was a coach for defensive for uh, Division three football, and I mean, I say this as someone who played Division three football, but it's uh, it, it's kind of crazy that you can be a defensive coordinator at John Carroll University and then in 2016 and then in 2021 you're the head coach of the LA Chargers while you know you got people you know like scoffing at the idea that uh, Eric Bieniemy could be being held back like it's just all very frustrating it just makes you want to roll your eyes at a lot of it and you know it's just like if if someone like Brandon Staley and, and like the whole, the whole argument, at least like when it comes to how black people are viewing these jobs, like if it's not that we don't pe- want people like Brandon Staley to get head coaching jobs, but it's like if Brandon Staley can get the benefit of the doubt that he'll be a great head coach based right. on his track record, which, you know, basically started as a GA in 2012 at the university of Tennessee. And he never even had a big time job until he was the outside linebackers coach for the bears like three years ago. Like, if he can get the benefit of that, that he'll be a great head coach. Why can't someone like Eric Bieniemy, who has just the track record of basically like any offensive coach that we've seen get hired over the past four or five years, has had 
uh, a track record similar to the enemy, but he is the one that can't get a job. And it's just, it's frustrating right. to, to, to see it play out like that over here after year after year. Right. I, I feel like we could like do away with the pipeline theory of why black coaches are getting hired. I think it's just, it's just racism. Like I, people yeah. look for reasons. Like we, we saw this year, Brandon Staley is a defensive coordinator. And like you said, he rose so fast through the ranks and any, any, excuse you can make for the enemy's success. You could make for Brandon Staley. Oh, we coached outside linebacker for the bears. I could coach Cleo Mack and still be successful. I could like, he had Aaron Donald. He had Jalen Ramsey. You can't use the, the Patrick Mahomes thing for the enemy and not use it against Staley. And I, I feel like you could just look around the league. Like Jim Caldwell is an offensive guy. He's a super bowl winning offensive coordinator. He can't get a job and he has a winning record. He has a track record as a head coach as a successful one in two different places. And one was the lions where nobody wins. I like, I don't know how you deny it at this point. I, I just think it's racism and there's like no way around it. I don't think any of these theories are right. I just think old white men like hiring other white men. Cause that's who they look like. And that's who they're comfortable around. Right. Uh, our our friend of the show, Quincy Avery, pointed out uh, that there's two blackhead coaches league made up 70 percent black players. Uh, Chargers sort of like slid this higher in. It, it, it appeared that they were going to hire Brian Dable. And then they went with Staley last night. Uh, the, the news leaked. Um, but he, he points out that there are four black coordinators coaching in the conference championship game this week. So that's Biennemi, Leslie Frazier as uh, the defense coordinator for the Bills, Byron Leftwich is the offense coordinator for the Bucks, and then Todd Bowles is the defense coordinator for the Bucks. And like those guys are not getting nearly the buzz that uh, that the rest that like Staley, Dable. I, I mean, it just it, it like you, you cannot deny this that this is just like. It, the the NFL owners, despite being under uh, instructions essentially from the league to try to consider more black candidates, just are not doing it. It's just not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd also like to point out that Brennan Marion can't even get a play calling job in the power <laughs> like uh, FCS school or FBS school, and he's coordinated like two great offenses and like some of the best coaches in the league in the league and in college football are stealing from him. So the pipeline thing just, I I don't think it has anything to do with that. I just think people, I don't know. They just don't want to hire black coaches for whatever reason. Yeah. I I mean, to a degree, it's just kind of like you end up like hanging out and hiring people that look like you, I guess. Uh, And like, cause you kind of get stuck in a spot where, I mean, I, I, as a black person, like any time that, you know, like when Brandon Staley gets hired, like, I don't want to say like, oh, the the Chargers are racist. Like, you know, like they're out here, you know, just being flagrantly racist and stuff like that. But it just, it's just like a feeling of exclusion that kind of sucks. Like when you see someone that you know is qualified or even if they're not qualified, like it's just, you know, that they're not going to get a chance to prove that they can be qualified uh like you know i i i i kind of understand like the dan campbell hire uh because it's not like this is his first time that he's been rumored as a head coach like he's been uh assistant head coach new orleans for a a good while now and uh he was the interim coach from miami i think before they hired adam gase and like they were 
okay when he was the head coach. But yeah, he filled in for Philbin. Yeah, but you, like you just can't tell me that if Dan Campbell was black, he would be getting a head coaching job. Like All with right. that same exact resume, where he was a, a tight ends coach and a interim head coach and assistant head coach. Like I, I don't know. I just like I, I. If you think that Dan Campbell's getting that job, he's black. I just don't think that we live in the same world. Uh, so and that's just that's part of the the stuff that's disheartening when you just know that if it was reversed, like guys wouldn't even be getting looked at. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is all that, like, this is like Martin Luther King Jr. was talking about all of this decades ago. Like he was focusing on systems rather than individual outcomes. Like, and that's like the system for elevating black coaches in football. Uh, it's just completely, you know, it's just, it's racist. I mean, it's, it's systemic racism defined. I mean, it's right there for all of us to see. Uh, and all of these supposed uh, steps being taken to try to fix it. It's just not, not working. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's talk about the coaches who, who did get hired. And I, I'm going to ask you guys to just rank these really quickly on the fly. Uh, so urban Meyer had been hired when we last spoke, he, the Jags had just announced that since then the Falcons went with Arthur Smith, the uh, offensive coordinator from Tennessee, the Jets snagged Robert Salah, the defensive coordinator from the 49ers. The Chargers went with Staley, like we just discussed, and the Lions appear to be going with Dan Campbell, uh, the tight ends coach and uh, assistant or associate head coach for the Saints. Uh, so so that leaves two openings, Eagles and Texans, the two by, by far worst openings. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about those. But give me your rankings of the, the hiring so far. How are, you, how are you seeing this shakeout? Well, you know, uh, the Falcons hired the next great offensive mind. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, even if I was just like looking at this stuff in, the, in a vacuum, like I, I, I just – love the Arthur Smith to Falcons mm-hmm. uh, marriage because um, like that that's just what they needed. Like they needed someone to get like someone with some creative and forward thinking on the offensive side of the ball. I'm like, yeah, it's a risk uh, hiring someone who's two years older than your quarterback. Uh, but <laughs> uh, like when you, you, you just think about the possibilities that can, can happen. Like, I like I, I, I. It might be a stretch at this point, but like I don't see why Matt Ryan can't put up similar numbers to Ryan Tannehill over the course of a season. And if I had to take uh, a receiving duo, I'm going to take Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley over uh, AJ Brown and Corey Davis, like as good as mm. uh, AJ Brown is. So, like you, you, you're losing some personnel in the run game, obviously, but you're, you're arguably getting better uh, passing game personnel and you can still yeah. add to that in the draft. Like I got, I just, I love the marriage and yeah, they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do on defense, the defensive coordinator. But I, I just felt like Arthur Smith is the right type of coach. Like, like if I was, if I have, if I was like drafting the background of a coach, like to, to take over the Falcons at this specific point in time, uh, where you're gonna, where you not only have to answer some short-term questions, but also long-term questions in the same offseason, then uh, like Arthur Smith is kind of the guy that I'll be looking at. So I think that that's a, a, a really good fit. And even if, uh, like even if I wasn't a Falcons fan, I'll probably be my number one 
pick in terms of the the coaching to, to team fit so far. Yeah, I wonder if he can get that offensive line playing better. Like, there's they poured a lot of resources into that line in Atlanta, right. and there's some pieces there where if you get a good offensive line coach in there, and I think you can get that running game going a bit. And if that happens, then it's not going to be two, 2016 Falcons, but I like I agree. I think we could see something like what we saw in Tennessee. I Matt Ryan is obviously not as good as he once was. He's not as good as he was in 2016, but I still think he's a good quarterback, and he allows you to, to do things that Ryan Tannehill couldn't. Like he's you can trust him to get through progressions and not take a sack. So yeah, I agree with Chuck. I think Arthur Smith could do what he did for Ryan Tannehill for Matt Ryan. And as for the other hires, like Robert Sala, I, I think that was a perfect hire for the Jets. They needed mm-hmm. just they needed a guy like that. They didn't need another offensive genius. We saw how that went <laughs> with Adam Gase. I mean, it turns out when you when he doesn't turn out to be a offensive genius, it doesn't go so well. And yeah, I don't know who else I would have wanted for them. Like, Salah makes the most sense to me. It, it just makes so much sense. And I, I know just from, like, just from still talking to people that are over there uh, for my time, my short time covering them, like, they were they were very much looking for someone that can, like, le- legitimize them as the organization, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, someone where, you know, we, we, can, we need to come back and start looking respectable again. And, you know, Saleh is you know, one of the most popular coaches in the NFL, like maybe I, like, I understand like why there are Jets fans who are like, there's a, a few, not, not very many who are like, Oh, you know, I wish we had gone with an offensive guy. And I, I totally get that, that gripe uh, just based on, you know, where the, where the league is right now. Uh, but you needed someone to just come back and make you look like a, like a respectable football program again. And I, and I think that with the way, the, the way that Saleh is, is going to, fill out the staff and the way he already has like getting um yeah he got mike lafleur yeah right he got a good offensive coach right pulling mike lafleur in like that that alone just shows that okay like this guy has connections to people and is able to build connections with people that gays didn't have and i think honestly i think i i kind of think Saleh is a little bit underrated as a defensive mind uh just based on what they did this year mm-hmm. uh and how they were able to still at least you know production wise have a pretty good defense with all those injuries like i i think that you know with Saleh, the coaches have to be able to bring in just like it's a energetic face for the, the franchise after gays like I, I just think it's a it's a good move yeah, and Gase's coaching hires, that was the first red flag. Like, he he brought in, like, a crazy group of people. Like, yeah. Greg Williams, uh, Jim Bob Cooter was there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was something – I think it was uh, – I can't remember the name. Was it Aaron Cromer, the guy that, like, testified against Greg Williams in the Bounty Gate hearing? <laughs> like, it was just a wild – a selection of assistant head coaches. And I think you're going to get the opposite of that. There's like at least some cohesion bringing in yeah. Mike LaFleur over from San Francisco, who's with obviously with Sala. So we're already off to a better start in New York. And, I mean, the, the other one that we haven't talked about is obviously Urban Meyer. And as we've said on this podcast, like in a vacuum, like just football wise, it probably makes sense. It's a smart hire, but you, we just don't know how that's going to turn out. He's making the transition from, a college locker room where he, whatever he says goes to a pro locker room where the players have some agency. And right. I just don't know how that's going to work out, but if it does work out and he can manage the locker room, I think the, the football side of it, it will be fine. Right. He's good. He generally hires good assistants too. I mean, he 
knows what he's doing. Well, apparently he's hiring Scott Linehan, so I don't know if we. Oh, yeah, actually, I take that back. <laughs> but he's also uh, he's hiring Raheem Morris, which I think for defensive corner is probably going to be fine. Uh, yeah, like Ur- Ur- like I think we've we've covered Urban enough. I, I guess the the yeah, how do you guys feel about Staley? I mean, the, yeah, the, Staley Staley is like I don't I don't really know. I mean, I I think that if it, like in this is a, a big if knowing the Chargers luck, but like if they can keep everyone on defense healthy next year, uh, I, I imagine that that would be a pretty fun unit to watch, right? With Derwin James and, and Brandon Staley yeah. kind of things right. they, can, they can do together. Uh, that would be a lot of fun. It, it just, uh, but the, the big question is like, how does Herbert move on from here and how did they move on together? Uh, obviously right. they have to be pretty sold on it. Brandon Staley's plan for that to to make the head coaching hire, and I think I saw something last night where uh, Staley might keep like the the same offensive coordinator, which I don't know. I guess that's fine. Um, it, it, oh, really? It, I, yeah. I thought he was. I was wondering who he was going to. I I saw that he was going to try to get Kevin O'Connell from the Rams. Uh, like I figured, maybe he would because that's probably the, that's like the, like the fact that the Chargers didn't pair an an exciting offensive coach with their exciting quarterback. Like that's you you rarely see that. You know, like teams generally want to if the, if you get that quarterback who's creating as much buzz as Herbert has, generally you want to capitalize on that. Uh, so yeah, I wonder what they're what they're going to do offensively because you know it feels like they need to to make a push there. They need to show something uh, with their offensive hire. Um, and you know, like they they originally it was supposed to be like Dable was. There were reports that Dable was going to take it, and something happened. I mean, I, maybe Staley's a great interviewer. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm not overly concerned with his his offensive coordinator hire. I think he's going to do a decent job there. Like by all accounts, he's a guy that like studies the game and like tracks where how it's evolving and he like you could see it in his game plans they they had like a different front every week so that's why i'm somewhat optimistic about him as a head coach is because he has shown that willingness to adapt and that's like something we see out of great coach like bill belichick he obviously wasn't an offensive coach but he he knew about offenses he knew that's how he knew how to make offensive coordinator hires i i don't think that's going to be an issue for me, it's going to be buy-in. Like you see Brandon Staley and you hear him talk and it's kind of hard for me to picture him like firing up an NFL locker room or just getting them to buy into what he's selling them. He's not like a Sean McVay type who's more rah-rah. So that's my one concern. And like that should be the biggest concern with the head coach, which is why I'm kind of iffy on this hire. If he's a head coach, I think that's going to take away from what he did as a defensive coordinator. He's not going to be able to you know, right. be game planning all week and do all that stuff. So I mean, are you even getting what you hired Brandon Staley for? That would be my yeah. big question. Right. And Dan Campbell, the the Lions' uh, apparent hire. It hasn't been made official, but uh, Charles, Charles gave a bunch of his background earlier. Uh, you know, but he's he's never been a coordinator. He was the head coach for the – and I, I, mean, I think they – that Dolphins team started one and three and was just awful. And I think they finished something fairly respectable. Uh, but just not a, not a lot of information out there on, on Campbell, really. And and to Charles's point, I just looked through a list of all the black coaches in NFL history. None of them were assist like not coordinators before they got hired. They were all had either been coordinators or they had been head coaches elsewhere. Like in college, Dennis Green was a college head coach. So 
Chuck's right in saying that someone that with Dan Campbell's resume, who was black, has never been hired as a head coach. Yeah, and I, if you're a Lions fan, I don't, I don't know how you put any expectations on this whatsoever. Like, <laughs> what the hell is this supposed to look like? I don't, don't really know, having any idea who his coordinators would be. Don't really know like who he's connected to outside the Saints. Uh, because he's only coached with two teams, the Dolphins and the Saints, over his career. And it's just kind of weird because, like, he – the way that the coaching hires have been made recently, like, it's usually with someone with a bit more control over what's happening on the field. Like, Brandon Staley called play, Arthur Smith called plays, Urban Meyer is obviously uh, – Urban Meyer. Like, we're seeing these guys that have kind of had a background doing – more on game day uh get these jobs but maybe dan campbell is just i don't know like just some coaching savant or something and he's gonna get the lines turned around but i don't know how you have any idea how this turns out yeah i mean no. this the story coming out of detroit is that he's a rah-rah guy you know he's he's going to get players to buy in that he's that sort of coach i mean he's a former player he's a, he played tight end i think he played for the lions um so it's that sort of hire, but we don't know, like you said, but we don't know who he's connected to. Presumably he'll bring some Saints people with him, uh, but otherwise it's a little bit of a blank slate. And that's kind of funny because uh, before Jim Bob Cooter took over as offensive coordinator, they had, I think his name was Joe Lombardi. I know his last name was Lombardi. He came from the Saints staff and the Lions fans absolutely hated him and his offense. So if he brings like another Saints guy, maybe it will be a Lombardi again. That would be pretty funny. I think the hope is though, is that he's turns out to be like a Mike Vrabel where he's that buy-in guy. And he also like, he could pay attention to if he's not coordinating the offense or the defense, he can actually pay attention to what's going on in the game. And he could, do well managing the game like Vrabel. We've seen Vrabel come up with some pretty good strategies. Right. But at the same time, Vrabel, like, I think the reason Vrabel was so successful is because he hired good coordinators. He hired Arthur Smith, he hired Dean Pease. And I, I don't know if that's a given with Dan Campbell, who's kind of been like insulated in that Parcells family tree. Whereas Vrabel, not only was he, not only did he play under Belichick and coach under Bill O'Brien and Romeo Cornell, but he also spent time with Urban Meyer at Ohio State. So right. he got that side of it. So I think he has more of a diverse coaching background than Dan Campbell ever has. So that would be my one concern. Uh, all right. Let's talk about these remaining openings. The The Eagles, we declared the, the least uh, enticing opening as soon as it it popped open. Uh, and I think that's changed because the Texan situation is just awful. It sure seems like Deshaun Watson is going to force his way out. And, I, it, you know, whether or not the Texans will be able to extract anything close to his real value, who knows? I mean, it's really shaping up to be a power struggle. And, and Watson has so much of the leverage here. Charles, I know you were sort of contemplating this. What do you see happening next with this Texan situation? I mean, I think it's done um, with, with him and the, uh, the Texans, like this right. kind of steams over, which is an insane thing to kind of comprehend where, you know, like you you traded away DeAndre Hopkins, and that alone was stupid. But Watson wasn't mad enough to leave at that point. But like this Easterby stuff um, is 
it's really kind of just odd and bizarre where this guy who doesn't really seem to know much about football and is hated by a lot of people. Uh, I mean, even Andre Johnson came out of the woods. Who Andre Johnson doesn't say (laughs) anything ever. Just came out of nowhere to just tweet about how bad it was. Uh, uh, with, with Easterby, I mean, I, I just cannot comprehend that a football team is having troubles deciding on, Hey, well, we could have all these good players and everyone be cool. Or we can keep around this, this pastor life coach guy who doesn't really seem to get along with anybody. And if you read the, uh, the Sports Illustrated story that came out, it's it's someone who is like paranoid to the point of thinking that Robert Kraft is like saying mean things about him and owns Sports Illustrated and is telling Sports Illustrated to say bad things about Jack. It's absurd. It's, like, it, it's, it's crazy. Like, right. And it just, it just, it, it just goes back to, I'm not, it doesn't even go back to anything. It's just weird and, and bizarre that you could you could ruin a relationship like this quickly. And the stuff that the stuff that Watson was asking for was not stuff. It, it was stuff the Texans should have been doing anyway. Uh, <laughs> where you know Watson asked you, "Hey, like I would like to be involved with the general manager search." Fine, that's not a crazy request. And then. Uh, Watson's request for the head coaching search is like, "Hey, can you interview Eric Bieniemy and Robert Sala?" Like, right? What do you like? Those are those are things that you should already be doing, Houston. Uh, and the fact that you can't even do that, like after you trade away uh, DeAndre Hopkins, and then like I don't like it, it. Almost doesn't feel like Cal McNair, the owner of the Texans, understands the gravity of the situation that he finds himself in. Like. He could he could he could be looking really, really stupid in the coming weeks and months if he ends up trading Deshaun Watson for his own first round pick back from the Miami Dolphins. Uh it, like the third overall pick that the Dolphins have from Houston. Like that like that's not a situation that's off the table right now. And I just can't it, it, it's just so hard to understand how it got this bad so fast and uh, while we were recording this, Deshaun actually tweeted something that was, uh, I guess, a little funny, very 2020, 2021, where uh, Deshaun found out that uh, Texans fans were going to have a march and a rally on his behalf in Houston today, uh, on Monday. And he tweeted, <laughs> I'm hearing there is a march plan on my behalf in Houston today. Although I'm humbled, I ask that whoever is organizing the march cancel for the sake of public safety. <laughs> COVID is spreading at a high rate, and I don't want any fans to unnecessarily expose themselves to infection. Nowhere did he say, don't march because I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> he said, don't march because you might get yeah. sick. Like this, all, all the, all the, uh, the reports that are coming out from like like obviously very reputable people like Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport saying that this thing is pretty much done. Like they're not going to put their name on that for nothing. And, you know, I see people tweeting that, you know, the Houston Texans aren't dumb enough to trade Sean Watson. Well, they're dumb enough to let it get to this point. So they might have to. And at the end of the day, like if Deshaun Watson doesn't want to play for the Texans anymore, he's not going to play uh, for the Texans anymore. And he has a no trade clause, his contract, which kind of, lets him dictate where he goes next and 
since they've already paid him uh, his bonus, like he has an immense amount of power in this situation. And uh, right. it seems like he's going to use it to get out of Houston. They, I, I'm not so sure that this doesn't end with the league intervening and maybe like saying to Cal McNair, like you need to get your shit together or we're going to take the team away from you. Like if fans are marching during a pandemic because you're so inept, like that's an issue. If Deshaun yeah. Watson is not on this team, who is going to go to that, those games? I don't know. And they're going to lose JJ Watt too, who like JJ is not a, um, he's not as good as he once was, but I think in the ideal situation, this is still someone where you like they were like JJ Watt in an ideal world, like retires from the Texans as a member of the Texans and has his Jersey in the Raptors. And like he's even feeling alienated. And uh, it, it's just really weird what's going on behind the scenes. Like where it basically seems like they have like Joel Alstein just, <laughs> not and, and like predictably it's not turning out well and like i'm uh i'm i'm shocked to see that the uh the the big the big boy fail son of the said, uh the guy who said we don't want the inmates running the asylum I, i'm yeah. shocked that his son is also completely inept when it comes yep. to figuring out how to uh get football players to connect with him Never would have seen that coming. Never. And, you know, Watson has identified like obviously all of this is coming through reports, but reportedly Watson does. He knows that it goes all the way up to McNair. Like there is no, oh, if you just got rid of Esterby or, you know, if you let me do this, like there's none of that. He knows that it's rotten at the very top. Uh, And that's that's certainly why it seems like there's no salvaging this at this point. Yeah, um, and, and, and also like Watson's playing. I, I, Watson, he's playing a little savvy game with the media and, and social media too. Like, because yeah, uh, you had the Adam Schefter report where Schefter was like, you know, when they traded DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Deshaun was on a two level mat, and now he's on a ten. And then Deshaun, <laughs> I was on two, and then I took it to ten, and. Like that's a future lyric, but at right. the same time, like he, like he, he brushed off. He's like, oh, you know, I was quoting this future Mo Rila yeah. song, and then like, okay, okay. <laughs> but at the same time, like we, we know, we, we also know what else is going on here. And the thing is, everyone's on Deshaun's side. Nobody right. is siding with Calvin Mayer. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, like, like, that, that's crazy. Like, you know how? Do you know how crazy it is that we have gotten to a spot where Cal McNair has screwed this up so bad? that American people are siding with a black man versus a billionaire. <laughs> it rarely happens. It never happens. We've got to start the assume all we can. He's so bad that he's, he gave the inmate uh, all the, all the leverage. Right. right. <laughs> we should just end the show there. <laughs> and that's been a, that's been a counter. Uh, what, uh, what are we going to look at this week? What, Steven, I know you're watching some film uh, and you wrote after the, uh, after, uh, on on Saturday, you you wrote that the Bills would not be able to blitz. They blitzed Lamar Jackson, which is uh, a tactic we saw work a bunch this year. Uh, blitzed him a bunch, and that's not going to work against the Chiefs. So they basically need to rewrite their their defensive game plan. But you're going to go back and watch. I think you've already started watching some film from previous games between the uh, teams that have advanced to the championship games. What what are we looking at as we look forward? Yeah, and I just I I hadn't looked this up before I was watching the the film art before I wrote that piece. But in that week six game between the Bills and the Chiefs, the Bills blitzed once 
on 34 dropbacks, 3% blitz rate. And on that one play, Patrick Mahomes completed a pass for 21 yards and probably reminded them why they don't blitz him. Uh, yeah, when I, watching the film, it was just a lot of soft cover four, and the Chiefs ran the ball. I think this is going to be a game where nerds might be upset at the Chiefs because they ran the ball more than they passed. It was the only time they did that all season. It was because the the Bills basically wanted them to do that, it, but it didn't work for the Bills. The, the Chiefs averaged 0.3 EPA per play. Their run game was successful. I think it was like 57 success rate, uh, positive EPA. I think that's the big thing to watch is how is Sean McDermott going to adjust that? Is he going to adjust it? Is he just going to hope that things turn out better this time around? And then on the other side of the ball, like the big theme was Josh Allen was missing a lot of throws in that game. Dable, I thought, did a good job against Spagnola. Spagnola had a good game plan. And he bothered Josh Allen a lot. He blitzed them a lot. They blitzed more than they didn't blitz. And that really contained Allen in the pocket. And he threw some inaccurate passes. So if Josh Allen can make a couple more throws this time around, I think they have a chance to at least keep it close. But I really don't see an avenue for this Bills defense to slow down. Patrick Mahomes, if he is healthy, obviously that's the big thing. Charles, thoughts about the NFC game? Any Anything you want to dig in on there? Um, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm glad for the Saints to win because I think that Drew Brees might have been even worse than Lambo. Than he oh, was yeah. But I, I, just, I just kind of expect – you know, I, I still need to dive into the film uh, from the weekend's games, but I just my gut feeling is that the Packers will just run right through them on defense, and I I, I just think it's going to be a tough game for for Brady to keep up. Like I I do think that Tampa Bay will be able to score, but uh, keeping up with Rodgers at home, uh, it, this just kind of seems like the Packers are are headed to the Super Bowl. All right. Well, we will uh, continue to cover. Uh, you know what's going on around the league and and take a look at these games at for the win ftw.usatoday.com and we'll be tweeting about it i'm sure uh charles is at forbert forverts steven is at the steven ruiz i'm at chris corman uh join us there we'll, we'll chat um uh any closing thoughts anything we didn't hit that was a, that was a, we got to a lot in this show yeah i, I think we're all good <laughs> yeah, the the Bob McNair line I think sum, sums up the whole episode. We did actual slander, so uh, yeah, sure, great. All right, we will uh, talk to you guys on Thursday. Thanks for joining us here at the Counter. Take care. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. <laughs>